you found the Digging Oak Island podcast, a podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you've been listening to and enjoying our little podcast, please consider helping us out by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. All right, before we get started, let me talk a little bit more about that Patreon page. Um, as I say every week, if you think this show is worth five bucks a month to you, uh, you'd like to see it keep on going, keep staying as ad-free as possible, then uh, please consider becoming a patron of our show. Go to patreon.com slash island and sign up. Um, it's only five bucks a month. You can cancel any time. And patrons get exclusive access to a live chat during the U.S. broadcast of each new episode of The Curse of Oak Island, where I'm always there, I'm always having fun, and uh, I always use something you guys say right here in the next podcast. So it's a lot of fun to get your input immediately like that. So again, go to patreon.com slash Island to sign up. If you'd like to make a one-time donation, don't want to do the monthly thing, it's no problem. Uh, you can also make a one-time donation to the podcast via Venmo. Just use the username at Dave McBride Music. I am a musician by trade, and that is my kind of uh, virtual tip jar. All right. I'd like to start off the show with this week's uh, emails and uh, messages from you, the listeners. Let's start off one from Chris, who writes, Hello, longtime fan of the podcast. I've noticed a recurring theme with your show the last few weeks. You start your discussion off of each new episode by saying, quote, not much to discuss. I like this week's episode and hoped you had lots to discuss. As soon as you said not much to discuss, I fast forwarded to the end so the episode would automatically remove from my downloads without finishing. Why bother listening if not much will be discussed? Are you now just doing the show to read emails? Would you start a concert by saying not much to listen to? You've heard this chord progression before. I'll give your podcast one more episode. Hopefully you find the show interesting enough to discuss the episode. Yours truly, Chris. Chris, um, listen. I think you're right. The phraseology is not great. Um, I always have something to discuss, uh, but we can all admit that some shows, some episodes have a little bit more new information, more interesting information, less of the sort of recap type of stuff than others. The great example is this week's episode compared to last week's episode, right? There's a lot more in this week's episode that is intriguing and worth sort of some background information or those kind of things. But every once in a while, especially in the middle of the season, and we were discussing this during the, uh, the part of the podcast last week that you didn't listen to, uh, was that we do kind of get into a little bit of the doldrums here sometimes, where you could feel the producers and the editors sort of stretching things a little bit. I mean, no better example than the garden shaft, right? We're just sort of stretching that out as much as we can to sort of keep it uh uh, and I, I'm not sure why, maybe to fill a few minutes at the beginning of each episode, maybe to sort of build tension, but they're stretching it out, obviously, over this course of time to keep it to the end when they can use it. I've said for a long, long time that I feel like the show is, the seasons are four to five episodes too long. Uh, and when they were shorter, I thought it was more uh, intriguing packed each episode with a lot more information and a lot less recap of things we all already know, uh, you know, and were a little more compelling. 
and I, listen, having said all that, it's my favorite show on television. I find them all compelling. It's just that, you know, some of the episodes are not as, um, to belabor the point, compelling as others. Uh, but I do get your phraseology, and your if your argument is in the phrasing, I will try my best not to use that phrase anymore, because <laughs> it does misrepresent things. Because like I said, I do always have something to discuss. We did have some things to discuss last week, and uh, it's just last week didn't have a lot of new information. Uh, the last couple of weeks have been like that. Uh, it's a common complaint. I'm not the only one making this complaint, obviously. You guys all know this. You see it on your social media pages with Oak Island and that kind of stuff. It's a common thing. Um, it's just kind of the show just kind of the last few years have reached this doldrum stage. Last year, it was the ox shoes, right? Everybody complaining about the ox shoes. This year, it's sort of the garden shaft. We get 15 minutes or 10 minutes at the beginning of every episode of full of just two guys seeing where the garden shaft is and hearing from the garden shaft people where they're going to go. And then all this recap of what the garden shaft is and the Templars and the tunnel and all that kind of stuff and the gold and the water, everything we know. It's almost to the point where you can sort of skip through the first 10 minutes, right? Because you know what's going to happen. Not much. It's just going to be the same scene. They have a tendency to do this recently. And unfortunately, I feel like they've leaned into that rather than trying to find a new direction to sort of cut down on the recap and make each episode a little bit more information filled and more exciting. But uh, again, Chris, I thank you. I hope you give us another chance. And if you are listening now, I absolutely respect what you say here and your criticism. Uh, and just so you don't fast forward, uh, we do have some things to discuss in this week's episode. There is no doubt about that. There's lots of stuff to talk about. All right. We do have another email from Dan. Dan writes, I probably, like most people, was very intrigued by the mystery of the great quadrilateral. I was almost positive it had to be something from the original depositors and was baffled when nothing was found. It wasn't until Rick was musing over the fact that they have no answers and that it certainly couldn't be related to the farmers of yesteryear that it dawned on me. It most certainly could be. I bought 10 acres a couple of years ago that we now live on. When we bought it, it was a very overgrown field. Once we cleared it and began keeping it mowed, it was very time-consuming to mow due to many depressions, ditches, and gullies that we had to mow around and then come back with a weed whacker to finish it up. So we hired a contractor to bring in loads of dirt and level up the property. Now we zip back and forth with our John Deere. So why wouldn't a farmer with a limited amount of time to land uh, of land to farm, limited amount of land to farm that maybe had a huge quadrilateral depression in the center of the land do the same? Put some huge boulders in and due to maybe a limited amount of fill and then cover it with a decent layer of dirt and voila. Now you have a nice piece of land to farm. An interesting side note, down here in South Texas, about five or six feet down in a layer is a layer of white clay. This is the reason down here they don't have to irrigate the fields. The clay keeps the water in the soil from just seeping away. Could this be the reason for the blue clay they found? They put the boulders down, then some dirt, and then a layer of clay to keep the water from just seeping down from the boulders and then topping off with a few feet of soil to farm. Just a thought. Uh, Dan from, uh, and he has a trucking company, by the way. Dan, we haven't heard from you in a little while. I don't think. Um, it's great to have you back. And I say this every time I read an email like this. This is why I love this show. You guys, Dan, unbelievable information. I mean, what great stuff. That makes all the sense in the world. 
Of course, that's why you would put boulders into a big ditch to cover it up. Maybe you dug the ditch for something and didn't want it anymore. So you put these boulders in it. Boulders, by the way, which are all over the beach there. Right. That's why there's a beach called the boulderless beach, because it is a little strange stretch of land that doesn't happen to have big boulders. There's boulders everywhere on Oak Island. So could somebody have done exactly what you said? Yes, of course they could have. It was farming land. It was pasture land, right? It was cabbage farming land. It was all those things. And you could see exactly what you mean here. It's maybe easier to tend to the fields or tend to the grass. And we also know that the that the makeup of the island was very different then, right? The sea was further out. There was no road cutting, creating the swamp, cutting the swamp in there. And this is at the edge of the swamp. So this is a very different looking place. So you have no idea what it could be. And yeah, I think sometimes, uh, you know, let me put it this way. Rick said what he said. And Rick's talking off, off the cuff in these kind of things, right? Let's face it. I bet you if we never hear from the quadrilateral again, it's because somebody told Rick and Tom exactly what you just said, Dan. And that doesn't make the show. Right. And I get that. I get, I understand why it doesn't, but man, Dan bringing the goods today. Oh, what a great email. I hadn't thought about that. And Dan, I'm going to look into it a little more and anybody else out there who has any experience in this kind of stuff and heard that email, let me know what you think. Drop me a line, digginoakisland at gmail.com. I absolutely love that. Anyway, we only have one more and what we have now, which I didn't realize was a poet in our midst of digging Oak Island listeners. My friend on uh, to the, uh, friend of the show, Joe, sent this one. An Oak Island inventory, our story thus far. Some rusty stuff dated by one Carmen leg, a Portuguese cannonball size of an egg. A cross made of lead with square necklace hole. Some shards from a platter and some from a bowl. Various hinges which might be from chests and metal with traces of government crests. A bit of some stuff that resembles concrete nails used to fasten ox shoes to ox feet. Some wood penetrated by one iron peg, a rusty old hoop that surrounded a keg. Splinters from tunnels by searchers of yore who sometimes would drop bits of tools on the floor. <laughs> a piece of a shovel, a fragment of pick, and part of an old app of an old pipe that really pleased Rick. A brooch that was found at the base of a stump, an old plank of wood that they pulled from the swamp, some metal from deep underground and some goo that possibly could have been mined in Peru, some buttons from coats and some nails that were bent, a recently minted Canadian scent, a torn piece of parchment embossed with a V, or it could be an R and it could be a T, a road made of, Ro of stone that was laid in a way reminiscent of Roman roads back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> a hook that could possibly lift freight, heavy freight, like chests of, uh, full of jewels and pieces of eight. Some bone from a possible guy from Bombay, according to clues from the bone's DNA. <laughs> That's my favorite one, Joe. Some parts of a musket, a hinge from a door, and part of a boot, maybe Roosevelt wore. A cross made from rocks that were placed on the ground, some blue clay that shouldn't be where it was found. Some evidence someone was processing pine like charcoal and faint wisps of old turpentine. <laughs> and down by the shore, someone dug a small well. Did they hide treasure there? It is too soon to tell. 
And most of us acorns still take it for granted that the first Spanish coin found was probably planted. <laughs> Joe, you were really on a run there until you ended up with the cynical part at the end there. Uh, I love it. You know, people always ask uh, for an inventory of things that the Oak Island team has found. Joe just gave it to you there in wonderful prose. And you did it in the way that sort of uh, is reminiscent of a night be- the night before Christmas, right? So I kind of found myself getting into that that uh, that that cadence, the night before Christmas cadence. Uh, and if anybody's wondering what he means by the Spanish coin, the very first scene, or the, I'm sorry, the very first season ended with a Spanish uh, Maravedie or whatever they were calling it coming out of the swamp, and it, this, as the story goes, the Lagina brothers accused the Prometheus producers of possibly planting it. The producers denied that and deny it vehemently, but that's that's what he means by that. And um, there's just some great stuff in there, man. I t- <laughs> clues from the Bones DNA. That was my favorite. Anyway, folks, how could we how, how could we not end on that note? So <laughs> just so good. Uh, if you have any emails or comments, especially as we're getting towards the end of the series, the season here, so there's going to be lots of stuff to talk about, right? Uh, get them in. Uh, it's time for uh, you know you to tell us what you think is going to end, how this is all going to end, what you're thinking of, what's going down here. Um, if you have any questions or comments like that that you would like to have answered on a future podcast, just send them along to me, diggingoakisland at gmail.com. We're going to take a short break and come back and discuss season ten. Episode 21, how did it go by so fast, of The Curse of Oak Island? Now it is time to discuss Season 10, Episode 21, man, we're getting close to the end here, of The Curse of Oak Island, called Roman Around. Let's start at the money pit. As I mentioned earlier, uh, the episode starts once again with another one of these scenes of the garden shaft where two members of the team come and they check in with the Dumas guys and Dumas tells them that they're at a certain depth. This time they're at 78 feet, so they're almost to the bottom. Remember, it's only going to be in the 80, I think the 85 foot range. Um, we've seen this same exact scene at least the last four episodes to start the show. And we've seen similar scenes like this involving maybe another borehole they're doing to start the show. Uh, But I've never seen uh, the garden shaft. I've never seen something like this where we get the same scene to start every show for a month or more uh, where we just go in and we say, hey, how's everything doing? Oh, it's doing great. Okay, on to the next thing. And then we don't really see much about it. We do see more on the garden shaft, but I just find it a strange little quirk of the editing and the production that they keep putting us into the same scene to start every show, which leads you to believe that they're trying to just keep the garden shaft at top of mind uh, for the end of the season. I mean, that's kind of what I get. I'm getting out of this. Anyway, later in the show... Uh, Charles Barkhouse goes over uh, to hear again from the Dumas guys, but this is about a problem they encountered. 
there is apparently a crack in the original support structure of the original garden shaft, and they're going to have to fix this. The Dumas guy says um, at one time there was a lot of pressure on that timber. Um, there's not a lot of talk about why this pressure could have happened, what could have caused it, uh, what uh, what it means. Also, the confusing thing for me is the next thing Rick says is the project is, is now delayed by weeks. But they don't really explain why this would take, well, number one, why this would take so long, uh, but also really why it matters, the original structure of the garden shaft being an issue. Because I thought we were redoing the garden shaft. I thought they were rebuilding the garden shaft. So why is the original structure and the support of the original structure such a big big deal for them moving forward? I wasn't really too sure about that, and I'm still not. So, But I think it's just one of those things in the editing where, I mean, what difference does it make to us, right? We get, uh, we know it's going to be weeks, and again, we're putting this to the end. Now, when it says it's delayed by weeks, my fear now comes in, even after saying what I said before about saving this to the end. My fear now becomes that maybe we're not even going to be able to complete this project or do much with it until next year. Not so sure about that, but um, you know these kind of delays late in the season seem to often point to those kind of things. Okay, that's all for the money pit. I also want to quickly talk about a war room scene with a same gentleman we saw last week, Emiliano Sacchetti. He is a researcher in Italy. Um, he talked about uh, last week, if you remember, he talked about some document pointing the, towards the possibility, well, I mean, he extrapolated the possibility that the Templars came to the United States or to the New World, to Canada or wherever, um, through this document that didn't say the Templars knew about the New World, said the Italians do, which is two very different things. But anyway, he tells them about this cave system in Italy, which is, uh, which was, I believe, built by the Romans, and he says also used by the Templars. Uh, and there is a, you know, and in this is a cave um, that, if you look at it from above, resembles the lead cross, the uh, cross with the circle on the top, which is a ubiquitous symbol uh, that has been around forever, right? Um, so anyway, I don't understand what the connection they're trying to draw here is. Okay, it's a Roman built cave um, with a Templar cross. <laughs> I'm not really sure what that means, but the cool part about it is it means they want to go to Italy and they want to go to Italy and have Corian Mall join them. So you see, folks, this is the stuff I'm all in on, right? I, I, these kind of strange connections with this, with these um, theories. I mean, I'll make my own connections as I see the information that's given to us. But what I love is when they actually go and talk about the history of things that might lead towards the money pit. That's what I'm all in for. So we are looking forward to uh, maybe next week having the return of our friend Corey and Maul to the Curse of Oak Island. All right, let's talk a bit about the swamp. Um, they're still trying to do this sort of cobble ramp excavation project. They think that they found a uh, sort of a, a sloping or planed pave area that goes up towards 
the original paved road that kind of runs perpendicular to it. Um, the interesting thing in all this is that Rick says they're kind of running out of time after they realize as they're digging that things are too wet and they're going to need to pump even more. So we, we, we often get this, right? This is another reference to time. And here we are in episode 21 already talking about how we're late in the year and we're kind of having to set up the idea that for the viewers, at least, that some of these projects aren't going to be completed. Uh, and we can we really hear Rick kind of spelling that out for us right then and there. I mean, I don't know sure that they're consciously doing that, um, setting us up for that, but uh, obviously the editors are because they're doing this you know, after they know what happened throughout the season. Uh, anyway, later on, they're digging in a new area for the ramp. So they move away from this wet area to try to dig out a new area to try to find sort of where this ramp borders and where it ends and how wide it is and that kind of stuff. And um, they pull out a little horseshoe uh, for a uh, out of well, Gary finds it in the spoils as Billy is digging out this area. He finds this little horseshoe. So later they bring this horseshoe to Carmen Legg, who is our blacksmithing expert. And Carmen Legg, uh, he comes to the research center, he takes a look at it, and he calls it an old handmade shoe going back as far as the 1400s. Now, my first thought when he says this is that they edit out the part for how long after the 1400s this type of shoe was used. But um, he... <laughs> He says that it, well, well, let me, let me just back up a little bit. He says the shoe is short because it would be used to make the horse stand up prouder. That's a quote of his. Uh, so it would be sort of like for somebody trying to be the head of a vanguard or something like in a parade or something like that. Um, and so again, he doesn't mention how far after the 1400s this was made. My first question is, I doubt it was made only in the 1400s because what I don't know much about blacksmithing, but what I do know is those techniques kind of stuck around for hundreds of years. You know, people made horseshoes in pretty close to the same way for a very long time. Um, but then he says, if this is from that time period, then we have rewritten history. And he's right, because we don't expect there to be a horse in the new world from the 1400s, right? Uh, we all know the history of that. So, it's fascinating. I'm absolutely blown away by it. However, I would like to at least know for sure that Carmen Legg is saying that this horseshoe was only made in the 1400s. Because if it were made in the 1600s as well, well, <laughs> then, you know, sorry, but we really haven't rewritten history here, have we? All right, I want to finish up our review here over at Lot 5. They bring back to the uh, show Sandy Campbell. Now, he is called a numismatist, which is essentially a coin collector, a coin expert, a coin collector, that kind of thing. Um, he is there to look at this token that they found last week. He calls it a 5th century Roman barter piece. And he then compares it to a piece that he has documented off of a Roman site in the United Kingdom. 
Um, and I love that he actually brings the documentation here and he doesn't just say, oh, I've seen things like this before. Like a lot of times we get that, right? We, we don't really know. I mean, Carmen Legg is telling us what we what he knows, but he's not showing us a comparison so we can actually come to our own you know conclusion on this kind of stuff. Um, it's kind of a, you know, uh, when this went off, Ernest... Uh, I think it was when he this Ernest on the Patreon said Roman Templars, baby. Uh, Ernest, I'm going to get to that in a second. Um, that's the confusing part of all this, right? I, I just don't really know um, how what this Roman where we're going with this Roman stuff. I, I don't really know what we're supposed to be what we're supposed to be gleaming from all this. But again, at least Sandy's got documentation, and it's really kind of cool for uh, for us to see and for us to compare it to. Um, Gary picks up his phone and then determines that the site where this token was found was only 30 miles away from Royston Cave. Now, they show you on the show what Royston Cave is quickly. This is a cave in the UK that um, some people believe were built by the temp was built by the Templars and occupied by the Templars. That is not proven, no matter what you might believe, it is not. Um, and the narration does this kind of launches into this really sort of uh, Templar connection with this piece, I guess, saying, I, I mean, I honestly can't figure out what their connection is, but I think where they're going with this is, boy, this awful close. So maybe a Templar picked up this token in this Roman cave, which he explored because he was in Royston cave, 30 miles away. I mean, I just, uh, guys, if you can tell me what this was, how we were supposed to be connecting this Royston cave to this Roman token, please let me know because I was really confused by that. I don't know what they're trying to say there, but anyway, be that as it may, uh, I've seen a lot of people online. I'm going to let you do this yourself, folks, come up with a few other really reasonable possibilities of what this thing might be, including from a toy. So uh, you guys can certainly use fish around for that stuff. You'll find it in all these like social media um, sites that, uh, you know, for the for Oak Island. Um, there are some really compelling things. It's starting to remind me a little bit of the swagger stick, the tip of the swagger stick, which uh, Gary found, which turned out to be a piece of a lipstick, <laughs> top of a lipstick container. Or also, if we don't forget this one from a few years back. The Roman pilum. They found the tip of a Roman pilum, the business end, the pilum being like a spear type of thing that Roman soldiers would carry. Um, they found this thing. They showed it to an expert on that sort of time period and those sort of artifacts. And he told them it was a Roman pilum only for the team to verify later on afterwards and hardly ever mentioned in the show. In fact, it was never mentioned in the show. But they verified later that it was a piece of a fishing rigging and not a Roman pylum. And if you don't recall, Maddie Blake just sort of mentioned that, uh, sort of quickly offhand mentioned that in one of his pregame shows there, one of his digging deepers or, or drilling down shows. So could could this could Sandy be wrong about this? Of course, it's happened before. I don't know if he is or he isn't. I'll let you guys decide for yourselves. Later on. 
on lot five, we get to what I think is the coolest part of this week's episode. And that is something that we saw last week. Laird is bringing Alex over to lot five to look at this strange pit. Now, this is the thing that Laird was shown 20 years ago by the previous owner of lot five. Now, remember, the owner has, I, I believe he passed away, and then his estate sold the real estate to Rick and Marty. So this is really the first time Rick and Marty have been able to look at these features on Lot 5. But it's not the first time Laird has been able to look at the features on Lot 5 because he has been part of the Oak Island stories, come and done archaeology for the old owner of Lot 5, for Fred Nolan, I believe, certainly for Dan Blankenship. He's been involved in the island for quite a long time. So he brings Alex over there. And what they're going to do is they're going to start excavating and figure out what this could be. So... Alex, I believe it was, pulls out a piece of 1770s pottery. Uh, and that's kind of cool. I mean, it tells you that it was used early on in time uh, in the, you know, the life of Oak Island, but certainly post-habitation of Oak Island. Uh, and Laird certainly seems to believe that this is man-made. And I believe he's saying here that this could be part of an, uh, the remnants of an old building of some sort. Um, it's very interesting how he puts this here, right? Because again, they're kind of, they're kind of, uh, editing this in a way where we're really not sure we understand what it is Laird thinks this is, but it seems pretty clear that Laird thinks this is something pretty strange. Um, I, Steve on the Patreon wrote, now it's a pretty cool structure, whatever it is. Absolutely correct. And I think Ernest, uh, commented later that, um, Gary, that that he loves it when somebody like Laird actually kind of looks at something and chuckles, which is what Laird does. He kind of looks at it and goes, I don't know what this is, right? I mean, and that's kind of neat. And he does that after they decide they're going to probe the structure, they're going to come up with sort of the, the actual dimensions of the structure, and then measure it. And when they measure it, it measures out to 13 feet across. Which, as I'm sure you already know, corresponds with the originally reported size of the depression in the ground of the money pit. Now, there's a lot of people connecting things here, right? So there's a lot of talk about what this could be, not just by Laird and Alex, but also people online, right? Laird and Alex throw out the idea of this being a test pit or a prototype for the money pit. Honestly, I, I can't believe Laird actually would think something like that. I'm sure he doesn't because, first of all, why would you make a test pit of a prototype of a, of, a, of a treasure shaft? And also the money pit itself, while it was 13 feet across, reportedly, it was also not filled with big rocks like, like this one is, right? And another thing, guys, you got to remember, to do rock stuff on Oak Island to make a quadrilateral, like we were saying before, or a Nolan's cross, or um, you know, a stone, this, that, is very easy because this island is just filled with giant rocks of all sizes, right? Of all sizes and shapes. They're everywhere on the island. Um, I think that, that Alex describes it, though, as, quote, more stones than we expected. And then Laird really kind of makes a neat little uh, observation here and says, and much more deliberately placed. So again, what they're seeing is a stone pit of some kind that we can't figure out what it could be for. 
Could it be a building, an unmarked building or something like that? Uh, so as you, that kind of, I guess the point of what I'm trying to say here, and I'm stumbling over my words a little bit, is we're comparing it to the money pit dimensionally, but it's certainly not structurally or even, you know, its intention certainly doesn't seem to be anywhere related to the money pit. Also keep in mind, uh, 13 feet uh, was probably not measured by a tape measure from the guys coming out there to look at the money pit. Uh, it's probably a good estimate. So I'm not sure how exact we can worry about those kind of things that those guys had. But before we wrap up, I think it's important to kind of talk about one thing. And that is the trend over the last couple of weeks where we're trying to throw out the Romans as a possible, I don't, I, I they, nobody has come out and said this, but all this talk about Roman stuff almost makes me think that they're trying to say that the Romans did this. Mm, I don't think so. Uh, you know, and then we've got the time frame, right? So, We've, we're, we're going crazy about a coin from the Roman period in the same episode. We're going crazy about, and Adam, that's saying a pejorative. I'm making it sound like a pejorative where we're fascinated by a coin from the Roman era. And at the same time, a horseshoe from the 1400s. Now those are a millennium apart, right? I mean, talk about not narrowing down our time frame to try to figure out what this is y you know the romans and the 1400s are totally unrelated i mean this roman stuff what we got to be looking into is whether or not somebody on the island collected roman artifacts that would be the answer to something like this if we're trying to get to the to 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 answer those things because the idea that these roman artifacts somehow connect to the Templars, man, what a stretch. I mean, I, I can't figure that one out. I can't figure out where they're going with all this. You know, I, I can't figure out where we're trying to, uh, what, why we keep bringing in this Roman stuff. And then in the same episode, always having the Templars, right? I don't know that the, were the Templars great collectors of Roman antiquities. You know, I, I don't know. But, I mean, anybody could have been at that point, right? Spanish explorers or British military. I mean, anybody could have been. It's all very confusing. I'm hoping by the end of this season, we can all get sort of a better picture of what this connection is. And if you start thinking back on this season and you start talking about all the different uh, theorists and theories that have been presented, the French... The Portuguese, we spent a lot of time on the Portuguese, right? Now, Roman, always Templar. Uh, the Spanish have shown up. I mean, here we are 10 seasons later, 10 years later, and we're not anywhere closer to even a time frame, no less a, uh, a perpetrator of what this mystery is. And I know that's frustrating. And I know it sounds frustrating to you, and I sound frustrated when I say it, but here's the reality of the situation. It isn't 10 years, it's 230 years that that has been the case on Oak Island.
That is it for this episode of the Digging Oak Island podcast. Guys, thank you so much for dropping by and listening. Don't forget, you can really help us out by becoming a patron. If you think this show's worth five bucks a month to you, head over to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. And if you prefer, you can also give a one-time donation to the podcast via Venmo. Use the username at Dave McBride Music. If you'd like to help out the show in another way, we need some more um, five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your shows. Uh, thanks to everybody who's done that already. Don't forget, you can also follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. I'm not on Twitter a lot. So, guys, if you're trying to send me a message or talk through Twitter, I don't really I don't really get the Twitter. It's just too much. You know? <laughs> so my my suggestion to you would be to use the email if you're trying to contact me. Um, I post the stuff on Twitter just because I know there's a lot of Twitter people out there and it's just good to give them a reminder of when the new stuff is out. But all the pictures and 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 um, links and things like that that people send me, I put it on Facebook. Uh, it's just much easier for me. I don't know why. Maybe that just tells you that I'm old now. I have no idea. But <laughs> follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Digging Oak Island. And again, if you have any questions or comments that you want to send directly to me, the best way to do that is via email, diggingoakisland at gmail.com. And remember, as I like to say, uh, keep in mind, if you do send me an email or direct message on social media, I'm probably going to answer it right here on the podcast. So if for some reason you don't want your message read to the listening audience, just make a note of that for me. I'll do my best to answer you privately. Well, as as, uh, Dave Blankenship would say, it is crown time. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Diggin' Oak Island.